Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorization number TP slash 01005. your sporting life with Peter Donegan. And it's wonderful to have your company for another edition of This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. Today we celebrate the life of a young man who made his mark both as a player and a coach in the AFL. Matthew Primus, Matty, good to have you on. Great to be on. Thanks for thanks for having me. How's life on the Gold Coast? That's where we speak to you at the moment. You've got the tan happening at this stage of the year while we're all shivering? Uh, no, I haven't got the tan happening, but the, the weather for that uh, in that discussion is fantastic. Middle of winters, uh, it's beautiful up here. It's twenty four, twenty five, and not a drop of breeze. A little bit cool in the morning, so you have to have the jumper on for about an hour on the way to work. But that's about as uh, as much as it gets. So it's a it's a beautiful time of the year, and uh, I certainly don't miss those uh, those cold winters. I bet you don't. Uh, how's the feel up there, Matty? Because the Commonwealth Games are coming to the Gold Coast next year, and we've spoken about this. I spoke to Jeff White about this when we had him on the program going back a few weeks ago. I guess the feel is starting to build now in the city. Yeah, it is. There's been um, a huge amount of uh, construction going on for the new stadiums. Our new facility that as the Suns that have moved into uh, has been on the back of uh, the two new basketball stadiums that they've built. Well, there's actually four stadiums in each huge big building they've built so uh, look there's a huge amount of work going on there the Metricon Stadium where we play there's a you know there's an athletics track will go in there at the end of the year um, there's new uh, swimming pools being done um, uh, bike centres being done so yeah there is a good buzz around around the city and uh, you know no doubt once um, uh, the Christmas and all that stuff gets out of the way you know, and the Commonwealth Games I think will be really big and uh, look obviously a great tourism spot the Gold Coast so that'll bring a lot of people in and then the locals are certainly looking forward to it and uh, going be pretty proud of it I reckon. As I said it happens in April so is it going to I guess it has to be disruptive to the football club to some degree? Yeah it's going to be we sort of haven't gone down those specifics yet but um, you know we'll, we'll touch on that uh, I suppose as the pre-season goes along but yeah we, we're going to have to not allow to play there I think it's going to be roughly for the first eight weeks or something so yeah that, that'll be a, a bit unique when you're used to having you know a couple at home and then hit the road or the other way around so um we obviously play Brizzy, so that, that'll just be up the road. So that'll be early in the season, you would have thought. And, uh, you know, whether the club's still involved in the China experience. Um, we played Cairns on the weekend, so whether that might come forward a little bit earlier, who knows. But um, I guess that'll be uh, up to the brains down south to work it all out. And uh, obviously we'll have a few home games to uh, to come home strong with at the end of that year. Speaking of the China experience, Matty, did you enjoy it earlier this season? I know you didn't enjoy the results so much, but what about the experience as a whole? 
Yeah, look, it was really well organised by the AFL, put it well together. I think our club did a, a great job of us um, going over there. You know, it's a fair party that went over there. Um, but look, it was. We, we stayed in a terrific hotel. The, the food was outstanding. The the city is immaculate. You know, it's uh, the air pollution is not, not great at times, although you don't really come across that too much, but you can see um, how it can have some effects on some people. But it was a great city to get around. There's 24 million live in Shanghai, so virtually as many as live in Australia. Um, the Oval was brilliant. The, the stadium there has got a real old feel about it. So, look, it was great to be a part of the history, the first game, obviously, in China. And uh, unfortunately, our, uh, the way we went about it wasn't great. But, uh, yeah, it, w- it was a terrific experience. And uh, I think uh, hopefully we get a, another crack in the few next coming years and we can really build on that experience and uh, turn it into a really good marketplace for us. Obviously, Port Adelaide gone hard on it. And, uh, I think the Chinese are our uh, number one tourist to come out to the Gold Coast, so certainly a, uh, a good leverage for us to be able to use too. Do you think seriously we can export the game internationally or are we just looking for a small piece of the pie overseas rather than getting it to take off? Oh, look, big question. You'd be made to look silly in 50 or 100 years' time, couldn't you? It's, uh, the thing is, we won't just... be around then, so No, we won't be, so we... Yeah, true. <laughs> um, look, I think it's more just trying to get a small piece of that market. Obviously, China is, is so big, and uh, the connection between China and Australia, you know, in business and economics and also sporting and all those sorts of things, it's... Um, I think there's a great avenue there to grow the game. Um, and as you say, if you can just get a small portion of in that area there, well, that's certainly going to be a... Um, a big uh, effort and uh, certainly an area that uh, both clubs could take advantage of if they can uh, slowly grow the game. It'll obviously take a fair bit of time, but I know Port is certainly um, committed to it for quite a few years. And uh, you know, if you can join them with that journey, I think it'll certainly help us as a club. Was it only ever footy for you, Matty, or was it like most kids, footy in the winter and cricket in the summer? Uh, it was footy in the winter. I did swimming in the summer, so I... Okay. Um, uh, Swam you know, competitively with the club from about the age of eight till about fifteen. When it's sort of uh, training in the mornings and then footy in the afternoon, sort of wasn't quite working. Uh, and schoolwork, obviously, too, to throw that in there. Unfortunately, at times, so uh, sort of that's what was my summer sport. That and a bit of surf life saving down at Anglesey. I was involved in that for a few years, and uh, so that was more my summer sport, more so than uh, what most of my mates did who played cricket. What was your stroke as a swimmer? What was your strength? <laughs> Uh, probably freestyle. I couldn't do too many others, but uh, yeah, freestyle was was my guide. Look, I didn't get in, into any great heights, but it was a, a, a great environment to be in. It was, uh, you know, a lot of travelling with the uh, swimming club to Country Victoria and all the, all the meets around there that they do, and uh, um, then obviously that branched off down to uh, the Surf Life Saving Club, which is a, a fantastic um, sporting organisation too, and down at Anglesey. So it's a, a fair bit of time by the pool and also out on the beach in, in the summer months. From a footy point of view, Matty, you came from very good uh, bloodlines because you had a very famous grandfather. Yeah, um, mum's dad, Reg Hickey, so unfortunately I never got to meet Reg. He uh, died, you know, 12, 15 months before I was born, unfortunately, so you didn't get to meet him, but obviously um, knew a fair bit about him. And being a footy nut myself, I loved finding out about the history, not that ever you know, mum or her sister's... Um, ever threw that down our faces and made us know about him what he did but uh, he obviously couldn't miss it with uh, being such a revered figure at Geelong and not too many people remembered his his playing um, because that was you know in the 30s and 40s but uh, it was more his leadership uh, he was obviously captain of Geelong when he played and then obviously become the coach of the the premiership years there in 51, 52 was it or 52, 53 um, so more people uh, um, my parents and, and, um, and my mum's sisters and then more people that he actually coached they were the more people who probably you know um, 
guys like Bob Davis, but lots of other people that I met. Um, even when I went to Adelaide, I met a few guys who actually played for Geelong under Reg when he was coach, and they just pulled me aside if I met him at a function or wherever, or they'd write me letters and just want to talk about what a great man he was and what a uh, impact he had on their lives, not just as footballers but as young men. So growing up in the area, having Reg Hickey as your grandfather and playing for the Geelong Falcons, I guess it was always in your heart that you wanted to wear the hoops as a kid? Yeah, it, it was. It was, um, yeah, look, I suppose in that era when I grew up, you, whatever area you grew up in, if they supported a the team, that was the team you, you always identified to try and go and play with. Nowadays, guys just want to get drafted and go and play with any team, which is fantastic, and that's the competition we live in. But, yeah, definitely uh, going to watch along every second week when they played at Cadenia Park, as it was back then. That was the dream, to pull on the hoops and... Uh, play out in the middle of the, out there on the ground there but didn't quite end up that way. Did it seem as though it was ever going to be reality when you were playing for the Geelong Falcons in the TAC Cup? Um, yeah, look, it, it was. I th- I, the year before, just before that, year before that, I was listed by Geelong when they were able to list people in the zone areas as they used to, you might remember back mm. those days and yeah. uh, I think I was a 16-year-old kid and I was on their list for a year and a half. I think I got delisted halfway through the first TAC Cup year in 92. Um, and that was fair enough because I was a mere miles off uh, showing anything. So that sort of dinted the dream a bit. But um, uh, it was great to be able to, you know, at that stage the Falcons were, uh, we trained in the same facilities as the Geelong senior team and trained on their oval um, and all those sorts of things. So we certainly got to mix with them. And uh, it, it was a dream, but, um, you know, it wasn't to be. And uh, once that sort of went by, it was... Uh, try and move on to the next thing and that was uh, obviously trying to further my footy education and that took you to Norwood in the SINFL where you won a best and fairest how much do you think playing against men stood you in good stead for playing AFL football compared to coming straight from the ranks of the uh, the TAC Cup and playing against boys Look, I think it was certainly good for myself, you know, I was um, like all big guys, they take a bit longer to come and I, I certainly took quite a few years to develop into my body and develop my skills and all those sorts of things so at the age of 18 I wasn't um, you know really good enough or talented enough to get drafted anyway so it's a moving over there obviously one moving away from home um, was a great learning curve uh, and then playing in a uh, in a competition that was certainly a lot of men around there um, and as a young man at that stage I was I think I was 20 or 19 sorry 19 yeah so it was I think it was fantastic for me it made me grow up really quickly living away from home I have to fend for myself uh, train as hard as you would anywhere else that was some of the hardest pre-seasons Neil Craig was our coach at that stage so he certainly had us in, in, in top condition and uh, yeah those two years I spent there were certainly huge in, in my development of uh, as a footballer and then the big time was beckoning we're going to take a break and we'll talk about your foray into AFL football with the Lions when we come back on the other side of the break Matthew Primus is my special guest on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals celebrating lives every day of the year You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan. And delighted to have Matthew Primus as my guest on this edition of This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. Matty, we talked about the time at Norwood, but the big time was about to beckon. How did you find your way to Fitzroy? Um, I think it was the uh, the end of 95 and um, a few discussions and uh, interviews with a few clubs getting drafted, but I think at that stage Fitzroy had... A pretty high pick, and um, they said they were going to take me with their their first pick in the in the draft, and uh, so that's how it sort of worked out. I, Neil uh, Mike Noonan was the coach, and uh, so that was 
pretty good for me because he was um, Neil Craig, so I learned a lot of his craft off Mike Noonan. So it was very similar coaches in that aspect for me to go. And uh, as you say, once my dream was sort of finished playing for Geelong, I was just go to over to the best, second best competition in the land and try and get drafted again. And he was an opportunity to get back to Melbourne and uh, play at the top level. So it was a uh, really exciting, and um, unfortunately, it didn't last too long the Fitzroy. But it was yeah. a it was a really good year and. Uh, um, a good year in my development, but it wasn't a great year in the success of winning and losing. Did that concern you that you were going to a club which, for all intents and purposes, was on its last legs? The training base was... Um, mm. It just wasn't comparable to anything else that the other clubs had. Did you realise that the writing was on the wall, that you might be playing for a club that might only be there for another year? Not really. You know, um, when I first got there... We, uh, um, we trained, uh, I think we trained Xavier College a few times and in pre-season, all those sorts of things. So he didn't have any any inkling, and maybe that was the naivety of me. And at that stage, you know, wasn't uh, spoken about regularly, I suppose. And obviously, people further up probably did. But you know, we, we got a lot of young kids in the draft that year. They had a, a good core of uh, some senior guys around there. It was a really good feel in our pre-season, and uh, obviously a new coach in there also. So not really. But once the season started, and uh, you know, we were competitive early. I think we. Uh, uh, my first game we played the, the Hawks at uh, Witten Oval and uh, we were competitive in that game, competitive for a few more and then we slowly started to, to drop away. We used to train out at, um, oh, just escape me now, the name of the Oval, Coburg Oval. We used to train yes. out there and, and the main session we'd have half the Oval and Coburg would train on the other half of the Oval and okay. those sorts of things. It was like uh, you know, Nord were an outstanding club, the facilities they had and uh, the Ovals and all those sorts of things and then you obviously expectations are when you go to the AFL that's going to be even better and um, not that it really concerned me, but it was like, well, there's a fair bit of work to be done here. And then by the middle of the year, once uh, you know the merger talk and, and with North Melbourne and then Brisbane and all those sorts of things, we had lots of meetings with AFL Supremos coming in and saying, you know, we're not sure where it's going. So that sort of uh, didn't help with the, the, the harmony of the group because the players didn't know where they were going to be next year and uh, Fitzroy was going to be around. There's a lot of staff who were disappointed. So it made it really difficult the last six or seven weeks. And uh, then once we were merging with Brisbane... Um, Obviously, you know, they could have taken, I forget what it was at that stage, eight or 10 players or 12 players. And yeah. North Melbourne were looking at a few players. So it was a really difficult time. But, um, you know, we still got guys that keep in contact with that in that era. And, uh, you know, they did have a lot of talent. A lot of guys went on once they went to strong and stable clubs and certainly had outstanding careers. So it was a, it was a great um, year in the aspect of, uh, you know, you can drive for the game and not sure how's it going to go or who's going to play, all those sorts of things, but just go and prepare yourself as best as you can and try and block out the outside noise. It was a great learning curve in that regard. How heart-wrenching was it? Because supporters are the lifeblood of football clubs. Mm. Without supporters, there's no footy. Um, And people had supported this football club for all of their lives. You'd only been there for the one year, but you must have seen some heart-wrenching scenes as the club was going to the wall. Yeah, look, it was. I, I remember that we only won one game of the year, Fremantle at the Witten Oval, and uh, uh, we didn't have huge crowds come to watch us. But I, I do know that word must have spread through the radio that we're, we're up. And halfway through the third quarter, obviously, at that stage, you could come into the ground at that stage for free and not pay. And the crowd would have doubled in size. Not that we end up with a huge crowd, but sort of, well, there's a lot of support out there and feel good about it. And But people probably know where it's going to end up in in six or seven weeks I think we played our last game in Melbourne at the MCG against Richmond and yep. 
I can't remember how rich we were going that year, but I think we had 50 or 60,000 of that game for a club that had only won one game. And so it showed you how much uh, the people loved the club. And then uh, there was a huge amount who travelled over to, to Perth for Fremantle for our last game ever. And uh, there's certainly a lot of emotion in there. And as you say, supporters, and there's a lot of staff, as you have at AFL clubs, the guys who volunteer their time and love just love the club, they were certainly devastated. And quite a few guys have been at Fitzroy for some years too. So, yeah, it was a, a really emotional time. Um, and I was really disappointed to see, you know, sort of how it worked out for Fitzroy in the end because there's a lot of people just trying to uh, keep it on its toes. But, you know, progression, that's the way it goes at times. And um, unfortunately, uh, they weren't able to survive any longer. I vividly recall watching those games on television, Matty, the last game in mm. Melbourne and the last game ever. And I recall having a tear in my eye that day. And, you know, I'm a black and white man. So, but what it was to me was that the game had changed forever. Uh, after those two games to say goodbye in Melbourne and then to say goodbye forever on the other side of the country, it occurred to me that our game would never be the same. Yeah, look, in, uh, you know, in that era too, that was the interstate clubs were coming in, weren't they, uh, to make it a, a national competition? And yeah, you're right. It was, um, you know, obviously they had great history in the VFL and then obviously in the AFL also, and produced some outstanding players and. Um, you know, a lot of people did love the Fitzroy Football Club, whether they supported them or not. So, yeah, uh, I thought people probably thought, didn't know where it was going to head and what direction was the competition going to go. And if that could happen to Fitzroy, it could have happened to another club and another club. So there was definitely a bit of, obviously, emotion for the Fitzroy supporters. But I reckon you're right, in the footy world, it was, um, you know, what is happening for the Victorian people, what is happening to our competition and, and where's it heading and how's it going to end up and how's my club going to end up. But it must have been such an exciting time for you to venture across the border, go to Port Adelaide under John Cale and see the birth of a new football club and all of a sudden the Adelaide Crows, who'd been around for half a dozen years at that stage, had a rival in town. Yeah, look, it was great. Um, uh, you know, I've been in touch with Brian Cunningham and uh, and John Cale uh, once the Fitzroy era was over and um, they saw, I think we they did a deal with the Brisbane Lions at that stage. Um the Brisbane Bears at that stage and look, having played against Port Adelaide with Norwood I certainly knew that they were, that was the greatest rivalry and uh, they were an outstanding club the way they um, backed up every year in the, in the Sandful and I knew they would have had that same um, thinking and same desire once they hit the AFL so it was um, wanted to stay in a football environment headed back over to Adelaide and obviously it spent two years there so I knew the city well and um, I knew the club was certainly going to put a lot of uh, lot of effort to become a really good club straight away and yeah it was exciting to, to Played for a club in their first year. Um, they had some terrific names. Obviously, getting Gav Wanganeen there as your as the big uh, the big name to come over to our club, and you know they were able to pull a few other players from other clubs. And we had a really good, really good first year, and it was really exciting to be a part of that and uh, and give some rivalry to the Crows also. I think you were fifth after seventeen rounds, but <clears throat> pardon me, fell away a little bit towards the end of the season. Was that just all of the emotion that had gone into the first season and the fact that you, as a collective, were still finding your feet in the big league against the teams that have been there for hundreds of years in some cases? Yeah, look, it definitely would have been that. It was, um, you know, put a group of players together. Um, you know, we had a handful of uh, young SNFL players that ended up becoming, um, you know, our, our premiership players further on down the track. And then we had a few Magpie players who'd certainly done the hard yards to get the AFL, uh, to get their Sanford team into the AFL. And yeah, we probably lost our way towards the end of the year. I think we played St Kilda in the last round and we had to win that to get into the eight, I think it was. And that year they actually played in the grand final and we just went down to them. Uh, in the last quarter so it was a, it was a terrific year and unfortunately we weren't able to keep that momentum going the, the next couple after that 
Yeah, the first few years were a bit up and down from a personal point of view because you did get in the injury early on, something that would uh, come back to haunt you later in your career. But also, it wasn't that long before you finished up being captain of the football club. Yeah, well, I think it was um, uh, 2001. Yep. Um, so uh, Choco had been coach for uh, the, the year before. In 99, he, uh, he took over and took the club to its first finals. And then 2000, we had a... A really disappointing year. Um, uh, I think we're on the bottom of the ladder by the middle of the year, and uh, you know, as you can imagine, when the teams are down there, there's always a, a bit of uh, talk going on internally and externally. But um, you know, the, the next year we uh, drafted a, a couple of young, good players. We uh, traded for a couple of key players too from other clubs, and uh, we had a huge preseason. Um, and uh, in 2001, we uh, we certainly bounced right back up the top of the ladder. So, sort of showed you that. Um, you know, it's, things are never as bad as they seem, that old saying, and they're never as good as they seem. And uh, certainly those next few years, um, once we've got a really mature group together, we certainly become um, a really good team. And it was a, it was a great period of, uh, of time to play for Port Adelaide. Everyone knows what happened in 2004, Matty, but the, the years before that you were talking about, 01, 02, 03, the club was really strong. The, the results were good. You finished as minor premier a couple of times. You'd obviously take one premiership at any time, but do you think that... In reality, you should have won more than one premiership in that era. I think we could, we should have given ourselves a chance to play in a grand final. You know, those eras was when Brisbane was going around, and uh, history will say Brisbane, you know, as good a team as uh, there ever, ever has been with what they were able to achieve. But we should have, uh, in my opinion, anyway, I reckon we should have given ourselves an opportunity to play in a grand final. I think. Uh, uh, 2001, um, Hawthorne knocked us off uh, in the qualifying final, I think it might have been. And then 02 and 03, we lost our first finals after giving ourselves the double chance in a home final, I think, to Collingwood and Sydney or Sydney and Collingwood, whatever order it was in. And that made us then have to play a prelim, both uh, one up in Brisbane um, and one against Collingwood, I think, at the MCG, which yeah. makes it difficult. But if you've got a prelim at home, um, as we had in 04, the year we won the flag, um, certainly makes life a lot easier. So that were the missed opportunities, that first final, dealing with the pressure, dealing with the expectations. And obviously those expectations kept on growing every time we sort of didn't take advantage of the great home and away seasons we had. But, um, yeah, the, 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 you sort of forget, obviously everyone plays to play in a grand final, but you forget those home and away seasons, you know. 17, 18, 19 games you're winning. It was it was a great time to play and uh, a really enjoyable time. Any time that you're involved in a premiership, it must be a great memory. But I guess in lots of ways for you, 2004 is a bittersweet memory because of the injury that happened earlier in the year. Yeah, yeah, it was. It's um, obviously I would have loved to play in a premiership and uh, stand there on the dice with all my teammates, especially you know what we'd gone through the three previous years before that. And, um, you know, we're under a fair bit of scrutiny going into that year, obviously, and the, if we hadn't have won it or hadn't have gone really well, who knows what would have happened. So it was disappointing not to be playing that game and be up there with them, but doing my knee, I think I did around three or four, and so you knew your year was gone. It was sort of um, good and bad, I suppose. You, you knew the year was out of the way, and as we sort of got closer to the finals and were playing some really good footy, and there was a, there was a good... Uh, um, not that it was a huge difference to the previous years, but there's a real strong um, work ethic and a strong desire to, to keep playing a certain way. And uh, probably in the back of my mind, knew that I was going to miss out on some pretty exciting times. Not that I was guaranteed to play, uh, that we were guaranteed to win the grand final, but I knew that we were going to uh, give ourselves a greater opportunity than what we had the previous year. So that was hard to deal with, but um, you know, also it was great to see the club certainly uh, get the ultimate success for the amount of good people they had at the club, who, from our coaching staff to our board and obviously to our players. 
A few of my guests over the journey, Maddie, have been in the similar predicament where they've missed a premiership because of injury and almost without exception, they say their overriding emotion whilst they're very happy for the teammates and to be associated with the premiership, but it just didn't feel like it. It, it sticks in your gut. Yeah, it, it does. Um, you know, to be able to stand up there with uh, with Choco, we have a great relationship and it certainly taught me a fair bit about football. Um, yeah, I think about that, not all the time, but quite regularly. And uh, I remember uh, on the bus afterwards, I think we went to Punt Road and then on the stage with all the fans and there would have been thousands there. And I just sat on the bus, not that I didn't want to celebrate with my teammates, but I was... I was devastated that I didn't get to play in, in a premiership and uh, you never know what can happen the next year but uh, the amount of hard work and sacrifice that every individual um, had, had done to be able to get there was certainly um, yeah I was disappointed about it I was a wrap for my mates and I certainly had a good week with them afterwards but um, I would have had a, a good month after with them if I certainly had been able to be play out there and be a part of it because definitely the, the 22 who playing it um, and the coaches they're, they're the ones who uh, can really enjoy it and, and are entitled to do so you talked about not knowing what would happen the following year, and I guess the events of 2004 made you very determined. You came back in 2005, but would it be fair comment to say that the injury had taken its toll and that you just weren't the same player? Yeah, look, uh, uh, probably uh, as in my knees really hadn't taken the toll. It was more just um, being out of footy. Uh, at that stage, I was 30. Being out of footy for another year, although you, you can still run and do all that stuff, it's the, the contact and playing every week. And I, as I said earlier, I wasn't a natural player, so I needed to keep training and playing to to be at a high level. And uh, you know, I wasn't able to do that. And I copped a few injuries in 2003 where I'd missed a few games also. So I think it was more my body just uh, wasn't able to handle backing up every week. So I'd I play a good game in 05 and then three average ones and a good one and so it was a frustrating year and um, you know I think we made finals but bombed out maybe to Adelaide um, and you know probably by then the amount of energy we expanded in those four years previously uh, certainly come to bite us on the backside so it, that, that was disappointing and then I, I think I did my knee in the last time in a way so I missed the, the final series again in that and that was um, you know probably in my head I knew that ha I had a fair track to be able to get back and play and uh, it, it not wasn't going to be worth it but I would have taken up a spot on the list if I had hung on for another year so I ended up retiring. Was it the case originally when you did your knee in that home and away game, that last home and away game that you thought it was only minor for a time and then all of a sudden the scans come back and they say, nope, ACL again? Yeah, it was, uh, it was against Aaron Sandlins who was just starting out in his career it was just leaning against each other on a boundary throw in. My knee felt a bit awkward I couldn't quite turn around um, not that I'd turn around too sharply, a bit like the Queen Mary, but it was, a, it was probably a bit worse than the Queen Mary. And um, I came off and then I went back on and it just didn't feel right. So we iced it up and uh, they did a few tests and they weren't quite sure, which normally they are. So that gave me a bit of hope. And then, yeah, I, I remember going in on a Sunday and having a scan and um, yeah, the, the guy who did the scan told me that yeah, the eight cell had ruptured. So it sort of knew that that was going to be eventually another 12 months out and that was round 22. So it would have been round 22 of the next year. So... Uh, yeah, that was difficult to deal with, but um, you know, I'm a bit of a realist and understand these things happen and get on with it, have a bit of a tear and then jump on to the next stage of your life. So after 157 games and five years as captain, the journey was over as far as a player was concerned for Matthew Primus. When we come back on the other side of the break, the next part of Matty's football journey in the coach's box started. This is your sporting life for Tobin Brothers Funeral, celebrating lives with 23 chapels across Victoria and online at tobinbrothers.com.au. Back with more with Matty Primus on the other side of the break. Yeah! 
You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan. And it's terrific to have your company for a special edition of This Is Your Sporting Life with Matthew Primus. Matty, uh, we talked about the playing days. Was it always something in the back of your mind that the coach's role uh, was going to be something that you'd be happy with once you finish your playing days? Um, no, probably like like some players, it sort of comes on them as their career starts to wind down, and other players are certainly driven by that and intrigued by that from from day one. So, probably a bit of over my journey of playing, I was I was injured a, a fair bit, or that not injured a fair bit. I did my knee three times, so that was a year out of footy. So that year was just spent with the coaches and travelling with the team, sitting in the coaches' box, um, match committee, and all those sorts of things. So that certainly whetted my appetite for coaching and. Um, you know, at that stage we had uh, obviously Mark Windsor, senior coach Phil Walsh, Dean Bailey, Alistair Clarkson, David Pittman, um, Jeff Morris. We had some really great coaches and great intellect in there. So being around them was uh, was fantastic, and that probably started the uh, um, the decision to get into that. And then obviously brought to a head by doing my knee in my last year, and um, yeah, it was a pretty easy outcome in the end to uh, to continue my coaching development um, at Port Adelaide. Was it something that was a natural fit for you when you became an assistant coach under Choco in 2006 or did it take a fair bit of learning? Uh, yeah, look, it, it took a fair bit of learning in the um, probably the aspects. As a player, you don't realise the amount of work that goes into planning a week and then a, a game and uh, then the review and all those sorts of things. So the, the the side of building relationships with players and those sorts of things you have as a, as a captain of the club um, and you certainly build on those and can continue to use those but yeah the other aspects and the amount of time and effort especially that group I mentioned they were uh, on the cutting edge of a lot of things they did and the hours they put in um, were certainly enormous so it was a great uh, base in that regard to learn some really good disciplines and um, yeah, for those three or four years as an, or four or five years as an assistant there under all those guys was uh, you know you couldn't have asked for a bit of a, a better learning bed. We touched earlier on the disappointment of missing out as a player on a premiership. The chance of a premiership beckoned in 2007. What sort of a day was that in the coach's box? <laughs> uh, blue, I've forgotten about it. It's, yeah, I um, think you're probably yeah. better. Yeah, it's uh, look, we just got absolutely obliterated by Geelong. And it was disappointing because I do remember vividly... Um, uh, I think we came home with the wet sail in the home and away season. I remember at some stage, maybe during the finals, um, Choco saying to me, "It was actually the most exciting year he's ever coached because it was a, it was a uh, a group. We had a three or four really core senior players: Brendan Lade, Chad Corns, Peter Burgoyne, just played at an elite level. Um, and then we had some guys we just drafted in Travis Boak and Justin Westoff and Robbie Gray and those kind of guys coming. So we had a real different synergy of the group, but everything just clicked and uh, we won some outstanding games late in quarters. I think. Uh, we knocked off Geelong um, in round 22 or 23 it was down in Cadenia Park so it was a real good ride and then we got on a real roll in our finals too um, but we obviously come up against a, a juggernaut in Geelong who were trying to get rid of their own demons too as we'd done a few years previously so um, I think quarter time might have been okay but after that it was just uh, shuffle the, the cards on the on the, on the deck and uh, try and survive anyway but they, they just blew us out of the park and uh, yeah we certainly um, got exposed a fair bit on that day 119 points on the biggest stage in football. Did that leave scars for the next few years on the group, do you think? Well, because yeah. The next uh, three years just weren't what you would expect from a team of that talent. No, they, they weren't. And it did, I suppose um, we talked about it as a, as a playing and coaching group, um, but we didn't focus on a, a huge amount. Um, 
I think what also happened, as I said, we were really driven by a core group of our senior players and leaders who just played an elite level. But that was probably then as good a footy as they played um, for the next two or three years also. So it was a bit of uh, um, a storm coming together, and a perfect storm. And uh, we had some youth coming through. Um, probably the expectations then were, you know, did we? I, I'm not quite sure what we traded for that year, but the expectation was to get back and try and play in another grand final and were we, our list and everything, ready to go back to that to well again and be able to do that again? And that was probably when you look back on it, um, we did get on a great roll and you, you can't knock back the opportunity to play in the grand final, but where were we at as a list and uh, uh, where was our planning for the next few, three or four years after that? Because we definitely, as you said, we sort of meandered around mid-table-ish um, and then obviously, you know, that sort of in the end is what uh, what cost Choco his job. Yeah, so in 2010, you're on the way to 10th. He gets offered a two-year deal. He doesn't want it, resigns, and you're in the big chair. And of the seven games that you coached, the club won five games. Is that the honeymoon period that we talk about for a new coach? Is there such a thing or is that something that we just invent? Oh no, there is. It's well, it is if you win, I suppose. If uh, there's probably no expectations on that person um, to an extent, you know, there's not a huge amount you can change. You can bring in three or four or five different players, I suppose, from your reserves and and move on some other players. But you really can't do too much in your game style, all those sorts of things. And normally they're happening because the team isn't going to play final, so that the, you know everyone involved in the club knows that there's not September coming on on the horizon. So. Um, but you know, we uh, sometimes a change is good, and I think that was more for the players. We played some teams who weren't going great, also, so that so that helped. But it was a um, you know, it was a great opportunity for myself. It was you could you could take it, I suppose. And if you lose every game, it doesn't look good. Or you can take it as an opportunity to sit in the coach's box as a senior coach, and uh, you know what it's like driving the week and reviewing and being in charge of players and communication, all those sorts of things. It was a really good learning curve in that regard for me. And uh, I suppose the bonus of it was that we got on a roll and won a couple of games. Yeah, so naturally, you win five of seven as caretaker coach, you're going to be the uh, favourite to be in the top job the next year, and you were. You'd done a really solid apprenticeship as an assistant coach at that stage. In hindsight, did you feel as though you were ready for the top job? I'm sure you felt it at the time, but as you look back, were you ready? Uh, look, I, I do wish now when I look back that I had of uh, got experience at another club. Um, you know, as I said, I, I work with some outstanding people, um, but it would have been good to see how another club goes about everything, um, not just playing days and how they coach, just absolutely everything and get a complete different feel. If someone does everything completely different. It would have been great to uh, to immerse yourself in that for two years, three years, whatever it is. Um, so I look back uh, on my time as a senior coach and wish I had had that um, I wish I had that decision and I obviously had an opportunity at some stage uh, after being at Port for two or three years to go over to North Melbourne I, I didn't do that and stayed at Port so that would have certainly helped my um, my understanding and made me a better coach but um, in the end I, I didn't do that so you live and die by the sword You mentioned some of the factors that make up a coach and there are so many of them it's not just about putting the magnets in the right place and having blokes standing in the right spot on the ground to get the footy communication is a very big thing uh, for a coach was there difficulty with communicating with some of the players that you had under your charge at that stage? Because Kane Corns has had a few things to say about your time in charge and the way that the relationship was between certain players and the coach. Yeah, look, there's a, I think you can always get better at communication. It's um, you know, I know when I took the job, uh, part of my um, discussion to the, the panel that was choosing the coach was as a club, I thought we had to go to the draft and rebuild and. Uh, 
um, prepare ourselves like they did when they initially came into the AFL and um, get themselves ready to have a sustained crack at winning a premiership and playing finals on a consistent basis, just not year in, year out. So my idea was to, to play a lot of the youth and find out about our list and, and go to the draft and those sorts of things. And obviously that meant... Um, in my view, that I was going to move on some players, and uh, that was that was difficult to uh, to have those discussions. Some of them I'd played with, some of them I was very friendly with, some I knew um, obviously because I'd been at the clubs for some time. So, uh, look, yeah, there was a difficult time, and I'm guessing my communication always could have been better. But other times, you also know that uh, certain people want to hear certain things, and that's all they want to hear too. So, it's a it, it was a difficult time because we we lost games. Um, we're finding out about our list. Certain players weren't getting games um, and that created a lot of angst and uh, but you know that was the that was the path I wanted to head down and I, I made sure I didn't want to deviate from that. You have to make difficult and sometimes brutal decisions when you're in that spot. Did it cost you friendships at all? Um, probably um, yeah probably did a couple of friendships and but you know as we say time does heal and uh, you know over the years I've certainly uh, those friendships is now as uh, as strong as they were you know obviously I had a really good friendship with Chad Corns and um, you know Chad ended up going off to the Giants and that relationship became a bit stressed for a few years there but we've certainly uh, mended all those bridges and certainly uh, regularly talk to each other and and catch up so yeah yeah it did at the time but look I wasn't there to be continue those friendships you're there to uh to help the club be as good as they were and unfortunately i wasn't good enough at that that's what history's going to say and uh that's the way it goes maddie the one thing that we do have in common is that uh the media business and the football coaching business does have one thing in common and that is there are only two types those who have been sacked and those who are about to be sacked (laughs) and it got to the end of 2012 and a decision was made on you Mm. what yeah look what was that time like for you uh, yeah, look, it it, uh, it was difficult. Obviously, um, you know, we w- weren't progressing as as quickly as we would. Um, you know, and I know the, uh, I think um, the board were certainly uh, they changed a fair bit over the last couple of years, and uh, I think we lost to the Giants. And uh, in the end, some there's some games. Um, I remember speaking to the, the great Dean Bailey at one stage, and I think it might have been um, I caught up with him not long after. Uh, he was moved on from Melbourne, and you know he said there's some games you just can't defend, as in you go in there and people say, how, how do you get that result? And that one might have been after Melbourne lost to Geelong, and uh, we lost to the Giants, and I couldn't defend that result. It wasn't good enough. Um, we shouldn't have lost to them, and we did. So um, in the end, I think that's the straw that broke the camel's back, and uh, I was moved on pretty quickly after that. And you could have gone through until the end of the season, but you decided once the decision has been made, what was the point of that? Was that your thinking? Yeah, oh, I think so. It's um, it's a more, not innuendo, but it's more discussion. It creates more people to talk about things. It's um, I'm there asking players to do certain things and go in harder and train harder, or I'm not going to pick you, but I'm not going to be here next year. So, um, yeah, I didn't think it was a viable thing for myself, and certainly I didn't think it was the best thing for the football club. And... Um, so, yeah, we stepped away for the last five or six weeks and I think Gary Hocken took over and um, started to uh, put my uh, forms in at Centrelink and look for another job. <laughs> well, you've still got that job and we'll talk about that when we come back for our final segment on the other side of the break. Up on the beautiful Gold Coast, Matthew Primus is my guest on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, serving families across Victoria for more than 80 years. Back to wrap it up with Matty on the other side of the break. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan. 
Our final segment with Matthew Primus. Maddie, the journey still continues. As we said, you're up on the Gold Coast as an assistant coach. What's life been like under Rocket for the past couple of years? Um, look, we're not having a great time of it at the moment. Um, and, you know, we would have thought this year would have um, had a few more W's next to its name um, after the pre-season we had in the, probably the first two years of uh, Rocket sorting out, sorting out our list and... Um, uh, probably getting a good high performance um, crew in because we certainly the first two years you know we had far too many injuries we nearly used every player on a list so that's not a sustainable way to go to be a, a really strong team so uh, but look it, it's been enjoyable to work under another coach obviously the first few years was under Guy McKenna and, and under Rocket who's been involved in footy for a hell of a long time and uh, yeah it's disappointing that we aren't um, further along um, in our in our season and looking forward to September which we th- certainly thought was very uh, very achievable this year but um, you know we've got five weeks to go and we've got to make sure we played out really strong and uh, and try and get a few wins uh, towards the end of the year to bounce back into a um, into a positive 2000 and a really big 2018. Do you think you are starting to get the hearts and minds of the people on the Gold Coast? We know about there and, and a lot of them are AFL people born and bred but what mm. about the locals? Is, is it starting to sink in or is it so firmly entrenched as rugby league territory that you're never really going to crack the market? It's it's a really interesting market. Obviously, that was my view coming up here. That, you know, there's a lot of work to be done and you've got to win lots of games of footy to um, try and win over the, the rugby side of the uh, of the population. But even the Titans up here, if they're not winning footy, there's not a huge crowd turning up to that game. It's a, a unique environment. They, they love sport. They love their lifestyle up here. But... Um, we certainly have got a great core group of supporters and that's certainly growing that we're ones we can rely on to turn up week in week out for us but there will be a lot of people up here also that will be members but okay what's happening this Saturday afternoon uh, we'll go watch the Suns not by Wednesday right here we're going to watch the Suns and going to have it planned in and I think we'll slowly get to there but that's a bit of the uh, um, the personality I think of the Gold Coast is um, there's a lot on for the entertainment you have the theme parks you have great weather beaches Byron Bay not far down the coast um, the ocean all those sorts of things so there's a lot of things going on here to be able to attract people's attention and families' attentions and uh, so it is going to take a bit of hard work but there's certainly been a, a great lot of groundwork in and as we know the more we can win and be successful um, that will certainly help entice a few more along and just finally Matty you're a young man in terms of coaching age 42 years of age do you still aspire to a top job one day again to sit in the big chair or did the experience of what happened at Port in those couple of years turn you off for wanting the big job again? No, it didn't. certainly didn't turn me off. I, I look back now and the uh, what I've learnt over the last five or six years being up here and working under a, not only just the senior coach, but also other assistant coaches and furthering my knowledge I'm always trying to further my knowledge by talking to different people going overseas tours all those sorts of things so I, I certainly have I've got a bug of coaching and I certainly would love to be a senior coach again whether that opportunity presents itself that's another thing but um, I, I do love the coaching side of, of football and uh, I'm sure I'll be doing this uh, coaching and uh, whatever level it's going to be but uh, I'm sure I'll be doing it for a long time yet but uh, yeah I would love to get another opportunity and whether that happens or not um, you know it won't keep me awake at night if I'm not it's been a really intriguing journey from Geelong to Norwood to Fitzroy to Port Adelaide to the Gold Coast. Long may it continue. It's been great to have a chat to you and uh, thanks for reliving your journey today with me. No, thanks for the chat, Peter. It was really good. Matthew Primus joining us on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. We'll be back with another very special guest at the same time next week, 7 o'clock, right here on 11.16 SEN, Melbourne's home of sport. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? 
Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semi finals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply.